welcome to the Navigating Dental Insurance Podcast, where we don't take from insurance companies. Here are your hosts, Mr. Jordan Comstock and Mr. Ben Duinay. This podcast is sponsored by BoomCloud Dental Membership Software, www.boomcloudapps.com, and Veritas Dental Resources, www.veritasdentalresources.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Navigating Dental Insurance Podcast. I am your co-host, Jordan Comstock, and today we don't have Ben Tuna with us. He is out. It is a Saturday, and he's out playing with his family, and uh, well, we're working here. <laughs> uh, today I have an awesome guest. Uh, his name is Dr. Philip SQ. He is actually, he's not a dentist, he's actually an attorney and a medical doctor, a DOJD. Um, and he is going to be coming to, uh, on the show today to talk about uh, a law called direct primary care in regards to in-house dental membership programs. I'm really excited about this episode because there's all sorts of questions in the industry about starting a, a membership program, you know, in in the practice as an alternative to dental insurance. And and Dr. Eskew's research uh, has is is very beneficial and valuable for this our industry and the medical industry as well. But just to give you a background of uh, Dr. Eskew, he is a family f- uh, physician and attorney. Uh, he founded DP, DPC Frontier. Uh, which is a website that that um, educates the industry on DPC laws or direct primary care laws. He founded that in February 2015 while completing his family medicine residency at uh, the heart of Lancaster Regional Medical Center and was named the American Osteopathic Foundation's 2015 Family Medicine Resident of the Year. I am excited to have him on the show today to talk about um, direct primary care law and how it can benefit um, everyone that is doing an in-house membership program for the dental practice. Dr. Eskew, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Oh, no. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I'm, I'm excited to, to share your knowledge here. Uh, is there anything I missed about in your bio? Could you uh, introduce yourself to, to our audience and, and kind of... Tell them, give them a little bit background of, of what you're doing here. Okay. I'm a uh, family physician and attorney. I knew um, going into law school that I wanted to do med school. And by the time I was starting med school, I knew I wanted to do uh, family medicine and direct primary care kind of from day one. So I've been researching all the legal and policy issues surrounding it since 2008, which was my first year of medical school. So uh, 10 years later, the, the movement has grown quite a bit. Um, there are Laws in seventeen, or excuse me, in uh, twenty-three states, yeah. describing uh, what direct primary care is and defining it as outside of insurance, which is helpful for everybody. Absolutely, yeah. So let's 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 dive right in. I think we've got some awesome content here today. Uh, let could you explain to the, to our audience what is DPC or direct primary care a definition right. there? Yeah. So direct primary care felt the need to be defined because in some states insurance commissioners would see what we were doing and they would get nervous so what the heck is it yeah. <laughs> um, this, was, this was started when a bunch of physicians said hey you know what we're doing in primary care is not that expensive in fact it's rather affordable yeah. and it gets much more affordable if we ditch insurance entirely and if we're going to ditch insurance while, while we're at it and ditch coding and uh, ditch the itemized sort of 
ways of charging because those things represent a barrier to care when it comes to chronic conditions. Totally. So if we're seeing a diabetic and we want to follow up with them every three, four months, we don't want to have this uh, battle about us wanting them to come in or to renew a certain medication um, because they're fearful of a increasing price associated with that visit. And so in traditional medicine, you always have patients sort of trying to get medications renewed in perpetuity without having the needed follow-up and the needed laboratory studies done. So in DPC, what we did was we said, hey, why don't we just charge you a monthly fee? The median across the country is right around $70. Um, most practices, it varies from 40 to 100 or so, depending on the patient's age. And they pay that monthly fee, and that's it. Um, if they come in twice that month, fine. If they only had to come in once that quarter, fine. Uh, we email them. We text them. Um, and there's lots of other communication platforms that we use in various secure manners to, to discuss their care. So it becomes a nice ongoing communication and you get to treat them like family. Um, the, the legal definition of DPC is that you're charging a periodic fee that's usually monthly um, and that you're not billing any third parties on a fee-for-service basis. Mm -hmm. And if you are a practice that charges a per-visit fee, which is the minority of practices, that per-visit fee needs to be less than the monthly fee. So okay. plain English, that's what makes sure you're not a cash-pay urgent care. There's nothing wrong with that. But that model um, doesn't really encourage the same kind of ongoing communication we want to incentivize. And it also doesn't get unwanted attention from the state insurance commissioner totally. because they view this relationship and they say, well, what if you only charge $20 a month uh, and, and you said you're going to take on 20,000 patients? That's obviously an unsustainable model. And they, they have this fear that there's this un, um, undisclosed and unconsidered risk transfer and that you would be in violation of these agreements with patients. So what we do is we say, look, if you describe your scope, you tell people what you're doing um, kind of upfront and, and, and you pick a patient cap and you do these certain things that reduce your risk, then we'll define you as direct primary care. And then you don't have to worry about an insurance commissioner um, wanting to audit your practice and investigate everything you're doing. Yeah. And so you say there's laws in 23 states? Uh, Correct. That, that allow that that you know they're pretty positive laws in if you know of a practice whether they're medical or dental is doing a a, a model like this. Um, mm -hmm. What um, what do you see? I guess um, across the nation, uh, are states opening up more and more uh, to this as we go oh, along? Sure. Yeah, there, there seems to be a trend in this direction. Once people understand what direct primary care is, you generally have bipartisan support. Yeah. Um, you know, if we go back even just to, you know, uh, 10 years, we only had a couple states with any, uh, even any thought of any laws on the books. It was Washington and West Virginia back then. But you don't need a state law on the books to do this. Okay. It just makes it easier because it lowers legal barriers to entry. There's less uncertainty. There's less need to sort of invent yourself by carefully reviewing the insurance code and uh, that kind of thing. So there are 48 states across the country, everybody except the Dakotas, mm -hmm. has at least one DPC practice, um, 770 across the country mm -hmm, that are doing this. So cool. Wow. I, I had no idea. Um, so in your opinion, so what what I am seeing in the dental industry, on the dental side of things, are our membership programs are, are pretty popular where the patients pay monthly or even sometimes a yearly fee. Uh, does DPC define that? Can it be a yearly fee or does it have to be monthly? 
It can. The trend has been toward monthly. So some of the early DPC practices, part of the reason they got some unwanted attention from the insurance commissioner is because they said, you got to pay a yearly fee and you have to pay all of it up front. And then they also, um, at least in many ways, tried to make it almost non-refundable. Okay. And, and when you do that, you can sort of understand why the insurance commissioner is fearful that you're going to take on too many patients and not be able to do what you promised. Absolutely, yeah. And if you do that early on and then you close halfway through the year, are you even going to have the financial ability to refund uh, money you should owe? So one of the things insurance commissioners like, and quite frankly that I think is just good business, is to make it a monthly fee. And not only that, but to take it in arrears, meaning at the end of the month. And then if something goes south and the patient wants out, um, then they do that. And, and instead of having to try and collect some final, or excuse me, instead of having to try and track, a, track an escrow, account and deal with complaints a shortened final bill assuming you even want to bother with it yeah okay so you recommend the monthly for if, if, if to follow DPC guidelines I guess is that is that correct yeah, yeah that's the that's the easier way to go about it there are experiences in the state laws um, I'm not aware of, there might be one or two that do require an escrow if you take all that money up front I, and there are a few that explicitly say you can't take more than a year up front Okay. But I don't know that was anyway. I don't. Yeah, I don't know why anybody wanna would wanna pay for two years of, of future medical mm -hmm. or dental you know bills. <laughs> so I mean a, a year I think is 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 uh, is okay, but monthly is is definitely um, easier to manage and less risky for the patient as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it lowers barrier of entry as well if a patient wants to sign up for these types of programs. So my next question. There is this oh, go fear. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, some 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 reasons physicians would do that up front is they felt like, and I'm sure it's the same thing in dentistry. That first visit or two you do with the patient is usually much more um, uh, thought and labor intensive than the follow-up appointments because they're a new patient to you and they have a lot of conditions that have likely been unchecked. So. If you're fearful that a patient would join for a month or two and then leave and, and you would have put in all this work and, um, and that kind of thing, then the way to sort of discourage that is to use an enrollment fee yes, that's yes. clearly non-refundable. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, so we, we help with the, the software in the industry to help manage this, and we do have an enrollment fee area where, where a practice can set that up and, and and I do agree with you if a practice and most practices that, that come to us on the dental side uh, th that are thinking about doing a monthly membership fee they, that's the objection or the concern that they bring up is oh what if I do a bunch of work and the patient just you know leaves a month or two after um, so that one-time setup fee definitely can help um, I guess get rid of that fear or, or concern there right uh, so in your opinion, what, why, why is DPC a positive law in regards to dental and even me medical practices wanting to create uh, a membership model, you know, program in, in, in the practice? Mm -hmm. So if you don't have this, these laws on the books, then uh, you have to go to the insurance code and make sure you're not doing something that would run afoul of insurance law. Okay. In many states, you also have to look at the health maintenance organization, the HMO uh, definitions, because it states what we do, especially if you do it on a prepaid basis, um, starts to look like what's called a limited service HMO. So doing that, doing that homework is easy for me because I've done it all over the place and I've written 
articles about it, but for most physicians, this is this is a foreign language for sure. Absolutely. Even finding an attorney that's able to do it can be difficult because most of the time people go to a healthcare attorney, and uh, healthcare attorneys are used to answering questions about Medicare, Medicaid, and third-party payment. They're not in, you know used to this kind of investigation. Yeah. So it can be it can be expensive and confusing and um, that's a problem. So that's part of the reason we pushed for this legislation is just to take the confusion out of the air and make it easier to do these things. Um, in most states, I haven't seen um, dentists be quite as vocal about it. Yeah. But uh, in Alabama, which is one of the 23 states that already have laws on the books, dentistry was specifically listed in the in the law as well. Oh, cool. um, in a lot of states, they leave it a little bit vaguer and they they, they say uh, any primary care provider, sometimes they say physician, sometimes they say provider, and, and then the definition of primary care is very broad, and I, I would say that in some cases dentistry could probably use the laws on the books and sort of argue that they would fit within those molds. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. They're, they're very similar business models. Obviously, they're, you know, uh, each doctor of, uh, of a medical practice and a dentist, they, they perform different tasks, but in my opinion, the, the business model are, the business models are, are, are fairly similar. You know, mm -hmm. you're treating patients and, and trying to take care of, you know, the, the patients. So, oh, thank you. That's, I think that's a, a really, um, I think DPC law is, is very positive in regards to, um, you know, setting up these in-house in membership programs. I, I think in dentistry, from, from my perspective and what I've seen over the, the past few years, I think the uh, there's been a lot of myths in, in the dental industry uh, about creating these types of programs. And I think DPC definitely helps clear, clear that up in the industry and, uh -huh. and helps, you know, medical and dental practices uh, get a little bit clear on, on, on this awesome business model for both patient and practice. Mm -hmm. So, um, in my in, in my research um, on your site and others, I, I've come across a term um, called a medical retainer agreement or a direct primary care agreement. Um, how does this benefit a, a, a practice? So, actually having that agreement up front is helpful for everybody because it avoids confusion between both the uh, in your case, dentist and the patient, mm -hmm. so that they know what in the world they're actually getting for this monthly fee. Um, retainer medical agreements, that's an older term that sort of includes, uh, arguably includes both direct primary care and concierge agreements. Okay. Concierge did not need to be uh, legally defined because the insurance commissioners weren't coming after those groups. What they did was charge a monthly for services. And then they went ahead and still build insurance the way they always had. Oh, I see. And insurance like it, but they were playing a contractual game with them where the monthly fee was technically for something like a newsletter or a monthly wellness exam or something else that wasn't really covered by insurance. Um, I'm not aware of that happening in the dental space, although it could be. Um, yeah, I'm not aware either. The most common medical group doing that, I mean, there, there are several of them. There's, there's some chains out there that do it. Um, several started in Washington State, and there's another group kind of based out of Florida that does it a lot. But um, I think that's probably not growing quite as much as DPC is for obvious reasons. It just doesn't, it doesn't help the patient a lot more, I would argue, because it doesn't really cut out the overhead. And 
you're still dealing with all the third-party billing. You're still dealing with insurance, and it's still a headache. In fact, I, I know a few practices that actually are doing that. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't recommend it. It's, yeah, it's still, you're still dealing with the headache and the patient. It's not, it's not as good as right. for the patient as, as DPC or, or just a, a membership uh, type mm-hmm. program, right? That, so right. very interesting. So I would the most important, just to, you, back to your original question, the most important reason to have that contract with the patient that says what's going on, especially in dentistry, I would think, would be to describe the scope okay. and tell them what's included and what's not. Because I think um, dentists more so than family physicians, you know, you guys have a lot of procedures that you're doing, and a lot of those procedures are, um, they, there are a lot of choices, and a lot of those choices are preference rather than medical necessity. Absolutely, yeah. And the patient needs to know exactly what in the world is included in that. And what I think it works best for are chronic conditions that require routine observation, routine maintenance, change in medications. Um, and what it's probably least effective for are your your one-time procedures, especially the pricier ones. Yeah, totally. No, no I think that's good. So medical retainer agreement or direct primary care agreement is what they should be setting up. Does it help protect the, the practice in with, with insurance regulations? Um, yes, I would say so. Pretty much every state that has law on the books, it requires you to have a contract like this explain the, your scope of practice to the patient, what's included in the fee, and also usually explicitly stating that this is not insurance. Yeah. And that's, prob- that's probably the big thing for practices to do is, is tell the patients that it's not, it's not insurance, whether it's dental or medical. Um, mm-hmm. Is that true, what they sh- should be doing? Right, right. Cool. Okay. So, yeah, all you practices out there that are thinking about creating a, a membership program you know, with your patients – don't call it insurance. I have seen a few <laughs> practices out there that will call it like Dr. Smith's insurance program. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I guess what could happen if, if, if a practice calls it insurance? Do they just fall under all the regulation? And, and Right. They, uh, a small standalone practice would be totally overwhelmed by the insurance code in the state and all the administrative burdens associated with that, all the um, capital burdens you'd have to have probably several million dollars in the bank yeah. uh, just to be have it have it available to pay out uh, those kinds of claims even as a very very small company so um, you can't meet all those rules not as a standalone practice so it would be pretty fatal yeah and, and the 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 fines and penalties are are beyond civil and sometimes criminal so uh, don't be dumb about it yeah so so don't call it dental insurance make sure you have uh, this do they call it a medical retainer agreement, or is direct primary care agreement more common now? Oh, I think most states are moving towards the term direct primary care. That's it's it's not my favorite phrase, but it, it is what it is. It's what's you know it's what the movement has grown around. It's what's referenced in all those state laws. It's what's referenced in the Affordable Care Act. So that's what's used. Okay, cool. So direct primary care agreement. Uh, get one of those. Is there where can they find a a is there a place online that they can find a, an agreement or what, what's the well, best way example forms that are listed on DPC Frontier okay. and I have a uh, I don't have an example dental one I could probably put one together pretty easy and, and pass that out via email also yeah uh, yeah mm-hmm. I'll, I'll send you I'll send you an email after the show and we can uh, put something together and, and then I can get that that direct link 
that you have for uh, the the forms and agreements on on the on the medical side of things. I think that could be a, a definitely awesome resource for our listeners and for the industry in general. So, very cool. Okay, so I have another question for you. If a if a practice um, is in a state without DPC laws, what should they what should they be doing? Um. Go ahead and look, you know, look at some nearby state laws because odds are when you have one passed, it's going to be similar. Mm-hmm. Use the um, model agreement that we put forward to sort of guide you in how you do this. Um, and that's really all you need to do. The, if you want to be, you know, really meticulous about it, then the best answer is once you've come up with what you want to be your contract, look at your state insurance law. Um, especially if they have one specific to dental insurance, and make sure that they couldn't somehow come up with an argument that what you're offering amounts to dental insurance. Yeah. The the uh, local attorneys who would be best suited to this kind of work for to have done just small business and contract law. So whoever you've relied on for your other uh, forms as you go about or inquiries on various things is is going to be best suited for this. Um, it's not necessarily something that's in the wheelhouse of a lot of traditional yeah. uh, health attorneys per se. Yeah, well, that's and that's what I have found. I've I've been researching this for for quite some time here, and, and I stumbled upon upon your website, and I felt like I got a lot more answers than than other attorneys that I've you know spoken to about this in this new you know interesting model in in the in the healthcare arena. So. Um, yeah, I think that it definitely use a contract law attorney. Um, if, if the contract law um, attorney, you know, is not familiar with with DPC or anything, do we send them to your website, or is there other websites out there that they can go to to learn about this there. concept? What was that? Well, I say I may have lost part of the middle question there, but I oh, think yeah. I heard. I think I got. The- it, um, you know, is there other places you can go if your contract attorney is unfamiliar with it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, for some states, I've listed a lot more detail on on DPC Frontier. There, are, there are states pages, okay. and you can click on that for your state, and hopefully, do a lot of self education on this. Um, and that same resource might be available to an attorney that's still relatively uh, green on this issue so that they won't have to spend a bunch of time and thus bill you a, a higher bill yeah. to find the answers that they need. So, okay, so they can go to dpcfrontier.com uh, is your website, correct? Right. So everyone listening, go, go to dpcfrontier.com. We also have some links on our website that link directly to DPC Frontier. Um, and you can find, do your own research about your state you know, send that to your contract law attorney to figure out, you know, what your state laws are. Uh, but it, it seems to me that DPC is, is definitely a game ch- changer for for dental and medical practices trying to create this model. Um, is DPC, um, is it pretty legal across the state, uh, across the states, I guess, with, uh, like I said in the previous question, what do they need to do if their, their state law doesn't have one? Um is there any, I think the, the biggest thing that I hear is that uh, in the industry or the myths, I guess, is that um, states are cracking down on this business model in, in the medical or in our case, in the dental industry. Uh-huh. But from my research, it seems like they're opening up uh, to this model 
what what are your thoughts on that across the United States? And I know that's kind of a huge, broad question. In I every state's seen, different. Yeah, there, there's been insurance commissioner guidance in only a few places. So uh, several years ago, there was a back and forth up in New York State between a doctor named John Muni, M-U-N-E-Y, uh, who ran a group called AMG Medical Care, and, and he was forced by the insurance commissioner to actually start charging a per-visit fee okay. because he didn't like his contracts and how it was set up. Um, ultimately, he didn't, I don't think he faced any you know civil or criminal penalties, but there was that investigation and this back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been guidance offered in Montana and Massachusetts, even though they don't have uh, state law in the books, they do have some favorable guidance from an insurance commissioner that says, hey, if you do these things, we're not going to be annoyed with you. Um, and there's some similar guidance actually in South Carolina, which is one of the states pursuing laws as we speak. Okay. Uh, so uh, to me, the trend is not one of, uh, you know, uh, hara- you know, harassment yeah. um, or sort of overly aggressive enforcement, but it, it is... It is a, a, a gray area that people want clarified. And in terms of, you know, what should you do, if, if you're kind of new in an area, and like, let's say you're in a state that doesn't have any DPC law in the books, and you go to some uh, contract attorney and he says, I have no idea what you should do, then maybe you go to the DPC mapper, which lists those 770 practices across the country, and you zoom in and, and you find a practice nearby that's been doing this three, four, or five years, and just give them a call. Yeah, that's a great idea. Because most of them are pretty nice and, and, and open about this. I think they'd be happy to hear from a dentist in town who is clearly oriented towards price transparency. And um, you might you might find that you are referring patients to each other, too, that are looking for, for good care at a, at a reasonable price. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a good point. So the mapper can be found on your website, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, DPC Frontier. Is it .com or .org? Uh, DPCFrontier.com, and then, uh, yeah, you can type. The map is actually visible from the home page, but you can also, there's a link to it at the top right. Okay. So research uh, everything about your guys' states out there. What is there any, Is there another resource? I think we talked about on our, on our conversation prior to this. I think there's like dpcare.org. Yes. Is that a good uh, resource as well that, that practices? Sure. Yeah, for anybody that's interested in the uh, in the policy interworkings of this, both at the state and, and especially at the federal level, mm-hmm. uh, dpcare.org uh, stands for the Direct Primary Care Coalition is the name of the group, and I, I volunteer some of my time as their general counsel, and um, that that organization is the reason um, direct primary care was mentioned in the Affordable Care Act. It was mentioned as being not insurance, but at the same time encouraged insurance plans to uh, it would be compliant with the ACA, but specifically not cover primary care. None of them actually did it because it never hit critical mass, but it was uh, mentioned in there as an option. And lately, um, we've been pursuing some clarifications in the tax code around direct primary care because the IRS really doesn't know what to think of DPC. Okay. So they put it as another type of plan and... Um, when they see that you have a high deductible plan that qualifies you for an HSA, let's say your deductible is five grand, and then they see that you also purchased direct primary care, they say, wait a minute, now you bought a second plan, and your second plan, since you just walk on in and you don't pay them any money, that's a $0 deductible plan. 
So they argue that by being a member of a DPC practice, you can't have an HSA. I see. Yeah. So that so that's what's going down on the IRS side of things. Yeah, we're going to clarification. There's several different bills out there that could fix it, and uh, who knows if they'll pass. But we're optimistic. Yeah. No, that that could be really good for for business owners that want to just skip out third party insurance and want to go to you know the the dentist or the medical office. And they still can run those through, I guess, business owners and personal, um, just regular consumers can go and, and benefit and they can write those those payments off as well on the on the tax side of things. Right. So hopefully, right. yeah, hopefully that can pass. I think that can be a, a, an amazing thing for for uh, consumers out there and then, you know, a, a selling point for practices creating these programs. So. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I think this has been an awesome episode, um, Dr. SQ. What, I guess, what final thoughts would you leave our audience, you know, in regards to this business model and, and the law out there? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I know it's a big topic. Think, yeah, yeah. I think the, the most important thing, at least what I tell other family physicians is, if you're going to do it, um, really give yourself a chance to do it and really promote it in a, in a clean and sort of easy way. The most common reason I see for a, a, a DPC physician not succeeding, uh, I would argue, is because they never really tried. So some of them might try and run a hybrid model where 90% of their practice is still insurance-based. Okay. Only 10% is DPC. And that's just not a recipe for success because their, their overhead doesn't change. And I don't think their mindset really changes. And, and I also think it's hard as a physician or a dentist to treat some patients different from others. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, either go for it and offer it to, to pretty much everybody or, or wait until you're ready to do that. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. That's, that's one tip that I give to all of our uh, users of, of our software is to, you know, let's go all in with this because uh, it, it's obviously a better business model for the practice. And um, so... I know a lot of dental practices try to reduce their dependence on on the PPOs while they're building. You know, the, this this the membership model is what we call it here in, in the dental industry. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess they need to be the, a practice that's deciding to do this. They need to be focusing on external marketing and then offering it to um, their patients. Can they? Can a patient opt out of insurance and then uh, join a, a a DPC or a membership program? Of a oh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you asked this yeah. question. Um, I, I I should have hit this one. So this is a new one that's often overlooked. Okay. So uh, how to say this easily? So the, the we've got we've got HIPAA on the books from the 1990s, and it's been modified a few times by other laws. And one of those laws that made a modification is abbreviated high tech H. H-I-T-E-C-H uh, and there's a provision in high tech that says that any patient, this includes Medicare patients um, not necessarily Medicaid, there's some weird exceptions there but Medicare or any private insurance they have the right to request that their records not be sent to the insurance company for a certain visit and that they be allowed to pay you privately for that visit. So for DPC physicians, this becomes important because when I call a cardiologist downtown and say, hey, I really would like you to do a stress test on this patient, and he says, well, I can do it, but 
I'm a hospital employee, so I have to charge their insurance. And the patient says, look, I got a six grand deductible. I don't want to come in and do that. I want to, I want a cash price up front because I know I'm going to get messed over by the insurance system. Yeah, totally. <laughs> then this high tech provision gives that patient the right to say, I am requiring you to not share this information with my insurance company and to charge me privately. Okay. So why does this matter? Because as a dentist, if you're dealing with some PPO plan that you really don't like and you want to get out of and you're working your way out of those things, then the patient who may come in and maybe they heard about heard from a neighbor that you're running this monthly membership fee thing um, and they want to contract with you privately even though they have dental insurance, then they are allowed to do that if they specifically ask to do it for privacy purposes. Okay. And does the practice need to get them to sign anything on that yes. topic? Okay. Yes. Yeah, you would want to document that. And What's technically, that document called? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> that's another – I don't know that I have a, uh, a clear form agreement okay. for that one. I just want to reference that and send you links to it okay. and say that, you know, the patient has requested for privacy purposes that we not bill their insurance. And um, it very well probably would conflict with the agreement that the dentist had with the insurance company, but that doesn't matter because federal law trumps private contract. Absolutely. Very interesting. No, that's a really good tip, I think, for our, our audience, you know, trying to do more of this, this membership model uh, in the practice because then they can... That's a that's a way for them to start to convert their patients over to this model and 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 become more more self reliant, I guess, with with DPC. So right. very right. cool, very cool. Okay, well, I'll get these links and, and all these resources. I'll put them in the show notes. So if if you can email me afterwards uh, uh-huh. some of these links, that I would appreciate that, and I'll put that in um, in in the show notes under this episode. But Dr. Eskew, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I think this is this is important information for the dental industry, especially because there's so so many rumors and so many myths about creating these membership type models in, in the practice. And I think DPC is is an awesome, very positive law for for practices uh, trying to create this this business model. So thanks for doing doing all the research you do and and, and publishing it. On, on the web for all of us to research and, and get educated on in this in, in the industry. Your website has been uh, awesome for me and for a lot of my uh, clients that I help with. Well, so. well thanks, Jordan. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much. And again, uh, just in case anybody wants to reach out to you or, or, go, or go to your website, could you repeat um, the, the domain name again of your website? Sure. Okay. It's www.dpcfrontier.com. That's Frontier spelled the usual way. It's F-R-O-N-T-I-E-R.com. And um, my, my email is phil, P-H-I-L, at dpcfrontier.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Phil. So if you guys have any questions, reach out to Phil. He's been awesome, a great resource for me. I I think I emailed him and you responded right away. So it's uh, he's definitely a good resource for this industry as well. So thanks, Phil, for everything you do in, in the healthcare industry. And uh, I hope you have a great Saturday. <laughs> yeah, you too, Jordan. Thanks. All right. Have a good one.